we did have one last sort of question. You mentioned the, the name of the bartender as Patrick in your book. Mm. Did that come out of nowhere, or, or do you remember there being a Patrick behind the bar? Isn't there always a Patrick behind the bar? <laughs> yeah, right. Welcome to Cocktails at Table 7, Inside New York's Joe Allen. In May of 1965, Joe Allen began life as a cozy neighborhood bar and restaurant in New York City's Hell's Kitchen. Located just a few blocks from Broadway, Joe's quickly developed a highly loyal clientele of young performers, writers, and creative types. The food was great, the drinks were stiff, and the fabled flop wall celebrating Broadway's most notorious bombs gave the room an added touch of insider charm. Over the decades, Joe Allen grew into a New York institution, and on this podcast, we'll celebrate Joe's history with longtime regulars who know it best. We'll hear from actors, producers, writers, musicians, neighbors, and friends who will share with us just what makes Joe Allen the place to be. So here's to old friends, new friends, and cocktails at table seven. All right, let's, uh, let's try it again from the top. So this week, this week, this week, this week, this week, this week, on the show, on the show, we have a show. We had, <laughs> we had. I, I'm getting an echo. I'm getting an echo. I think there's something going on. This week, we had another amazing guest. It seems to be an ongoing thing, right? I think. Well, you know, we're lucky. We've we've gotten some really awesome people, and I've said some people have an extra special place in your heart for when their work has appeared in your life. And this is this was one of those for me. Well, she's one of those performers, I think, who has a way of getting into your heart. She's mm-hmm. very couldn't be more endearing and lovable, and she's also just a really she's a really talented actress. And maybe we should uh, should we say should we say who it is? Maybe you go ahead. You say it. Oh, oh, oh! It's Lauren Graham. It is. It's Lauren Graham. It's Lauren Graham. It's Lauren Graham. Who it turns out is not only an actress. She's also a novelist. She's also a longtime Joe Allen regular fan aficionado and has a relationship going way back with the place from when she was a college student so it's it was really cool to hear her 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 stories it really was a it was a wonderful experience we had such a good time and yeah so let's stop talking and let you guys listen to to miss lauren graham let's do it there's a lot there let's get to it our cocktails on table seven inside new york show island didn't we say we don't have to do that anymore? Uh, yes, but it's funny every time we do it to each other. <laughs> <laughs> and cut. Hi, welcome. Hi, thank you so much. We're very excited, I have to say. <laughs> I'm excited. It's It like marks the end of the end times, I feel like. We think so too. It feels a little like that. We feel like the end times are lifting on our end, too. So, yeah. Are you all in New York? New Jersey. It's always end times in New Jersey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, no, it's a nice place, and it shouldn't have that reputation. But, um, yeah, we're all we're all not only sort of – we're not getting back to normal, per se, but everybody is like the, – the wheels are even rolling with the restaurant coming back online with the theater reopening. So, everything is feeling a lot more hopeful than it was. Oh, that's great. Well – we know that you're a fan of Joe Allen, and we want to start off with a dramatic reading, if we can. Wow. Oh, wait, wait. <clears throat> I hope I do this justice. But this is from your book, Someday, Someday, Maybe. And here's my dramatic reading. Okay. 
Dina and I sit at the glossy wood bar at Joe Allen, crowded with actors whose shows have just let out and patrons who've come from the theater. I almost feel as though I belong in this crowd tonight, or that it is possible I could someday. I mean, we had to talk to you. You wrote those words about Joe Allen. I was really trying to think of um, satisfying things like, what is my first memory or why, why the connection? And I don't know. I don't remember. It just was always a place that, first of all, just was such a cozy, fun place to go. And I can't remember who told me that or who introduced me to it. And I'm afraid it was some hideous old boyfriend because that's probably <laughs> who I who's like some actor, some play I had to go see or something. And from starting out in New York and knowing nobody and, you know, the hospitality there was just always the same. Like it was always a welcoming, wonderful place to go. And it was never because there was some other bar that has closed now that was very hierarchical. It was like, if your show was good, you got to sit in the good <laughs> seats. And if like, you know, it was like, it was like very like, ooh, the third floor or whatever. Oh, I know yes. what you're talking about. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, we know where you're we talking about. We know it very about. well. <laughs> and I would, I would get like such anxiety going there. And it was just never had that, you know, at Joe Allen. So, um, well, yeah, I mean, we felt like those those lines summed up how a lot of young actors who discovered Joe Allen feel and how like they kind of come in and they are like, oh, like you can feel the energy of the community in there. So we just love that. It's awesome. Yeah. So I know you went I know that you went to Barnard for college. So was Broadway, was going to the theater part of your like your life back then as well? Yes. It's so funny to think about um, how quickly things have changed, right? And what I can't even imagine what young actors sort of look to as their paradigm of what they want, you know, but I grew up in the DC area going to a lot of theater. My father would take me to the arena stage and the Folger mm -hmm. Shakespeare Theater and Kennedy Center and there was no social media, no, you know, the closest there was to any kind of you, this can happen to you kind of thing was like star search, which still felt, didn't really feel like a thing. Like I grew up reading about Catherine Hepburn and Sarah Bernhardt and like, you know, old, like theater, theater, people who maybe then sort of went into movies, you know, even then the idea of television was like very separate, you know, mm -hmm. you, you were either a theater actor or you're a movie actor or you're a TV actor. And in particular, there was a summer that I, I did a professional, I got into this professional um, training program at Arena Stage. And I was one of the youngest people in the summer program. And it was it just blew my mind to be in that community. And, and it was taught by, there was a sort of rep company who were in residence at arena stage who got to play all the parts, you know, in every, in a whole season. And that was, that was as high as my dream went. I was like, if only I could be a member of the arena stage, you know, rep company, that's, that's as high, that's all I could picture. You know, I thought, well, I'm from here. <laughs> you know, I've gotten into this program as a young person, like maybe that would happen. So, so yes, what I had in, in mind was to train in New York City. It wasn't really a linear, like, <laughs> you know, you just, that's what you did. You went to New York. And, and actually my first year I was at NYU in the acting school 
and you know they put you in i think they still do it this way they put you in studios right so you get into the acting school as a whole and then they kind of funnel you into some belief system or whatever and i <laughs> was in stella adler for the first half which was a very traditional scene study and that didn't really feel like a fit and then they moved me into the experimental theater wing, mm-hmm. which is like the complete opposite <laughs> where you're like, I'm a llama, I'm a lion, I'm a, you know, and you're rolling around on the floor, just like making sounds. And just the two extremes were extreme. <laughs> and I had a non-hideous boyfriend at the time who was at Harvard and I would go visit him and just the worlds, none of the worlds made sense. <laughs> like, his world of extreme academic pursuit, my world of either this very, what felt a little bit stodgy scene study and or being a llama. Like I just couldn't, <laughs> none of it, none of it. I was like, this is not what I planned somehow. And also I was 17 when I went to college because I had skipped a grade. So I was just young and the whole thing was really overwhelming. So that's how I ended up at Barnard. I was like, I think maybe I need a more traditional path for a minute. So I went back to sort of a default, which was when I just be an English major and, you know, sort of do theater as, as my, all my extracurricular stuff. So that was that thinking. I, I have to go back to the arena stage portion of what you were saying, because uh, I was fortunate enough to go to the Baltimore school of the arts and the guy who ran the program at the Baltimore school of the arts, the drama program, his name was Donald Hicken, and his wife, Tana Hicken, was one of those rep members at Arena Stage. And I don't know if you ever had a chance to work with her or not, but she was she was sort of like always playing the grand dame roles. And I we had I had the same reaction when I was in high school. I was like, how could it be any better than spending nine months going from play to play with your friends? I mean, I don't know if they were friends, but I, they were all together. So I assume they're friends. I assumed they were. They seemed like friends. Yes. Well, I remember, too, it was the first time. I mean, I had, you know, took drama in high school and I had been in plays and I did other summer programs. But it was the first time I really felt I was getting a level of teaching that was a bridge to the, the professional world because they were professionals. But that was just very, very mind expanding. And I remember in particular, something about what you were just saying. Um, one of the exercises they gave me as a young person who I'm sure, I mean, to this day, I'm like, and like, um, as, or, um, you know, like they, they assigned me a day of saying only exactly what I meant and meaning everything I said. And that, effort was difficult. (laughs) And the feeling it gave me of connecting to language just was some, it was something that I truly grew from. I had never thought about speaking text in that particular connected way. And um, so it was just a big deal. It it sounds like a fantastic lesson, not only as an actor, but as a writer, because the language in both senses is all you have, or it's especially with writing, you have to be compact and you have to be precise and you have to say what you mean, or otherwise it it just turns into bad writing. Well, and in writing, it's interesting because I think of them all in the same way. Um, I'm working on a screenplay now with an excellent writer friend who is primarily a novelist who's coming to screenwriting. And we, we have different 
strengths and weaknesses. And I'm finding in the case of prose, you say a lot. <laughs> and in, in, in a screenplay, the economy and the sort of what are you not saying is, is more important. So it's just fun to bounce around in all these different forms. Yeah, you got to get into a different mode of thinking with what with depending on the medium. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Were you a big reader as a kid? Insane. Yeah. It's really all I did until I discovered horseback riding. And then that was all I did until I got in a play. But yeah, I was uh, just a crazy, crazy reader. And my dad would take me to the bookstore and I was allowed to get anything I wanted. <laughs> and this is like, I'm sure some people have this equivalent in like retail, you know, in, in fashion or something. At the Lego store. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I didn't understand that he was, I didn't understand that that was some sort of scholarly, you know, that my, my father was like laughing all the way to parent school or whatever, you know. It was, his parent cred was going through the roof. <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah. I've got to grab all these books. I'm getting away with something. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, and I would go, and it started in like the kids section or whatever, but then I would quite literally just judge things by, by their cover. And again, no internet to be like, how's this book, you know? And I just kind of stumble into, um, I happened to stumble into some really, I don't know, things that were too old for me at the time, but that, you know, ended up really giving me a lot. So, and that's also part of it to me, reading is part of acting is part of writing is part of direct, like, it's just all depends on which lens you're looking at the story, but it really feels uh, all a piece of the same puzzle to me were you like a, a a young kid when you were riding horses or when did you first begin riding horses yeah i think that was also because these were the years before my dad remarried and another thing that i possibly looked at as a fun advantage which was really just he needed to get rid of me in the summer was I would go to a horseback riding camp. <laughs> well, I mean, he's on his own. He's just got his job. You know, he can't like be there every day. And without school, I think he was like summer camp. Let's just put her there for a while. And so I, I was an okay writer. And then I just got better by virtue of being stuck at camp for months on end. Um, but I did really love it. And, and where we, you know, it wasn't that rural a part of Virginia, but it just, Virginia, it's like, the neighbors had horses, you know, the yeah. barn was down the street. It was like an after school job. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was, and, and all, a lot of the books I read were like a girl and her horse and all the black beauty and all the misty of Chincoteague and all the, you know, um, there's, there's some sort of bizarre connection there to, I don't know, being a young girl and having this kind of friend, you know, I, I would get to know these animals as like, I felt they were like, I don't know. It's, 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 uh, we didn't have a dog. We ha I had a horse. <laughs> I was going to say, I totally see that with my, I have an eight-year-old stepdaughter with our dog and her cat. She, there's a bond there. I think that's even greater than the one I have. And I'm with the dog more often. There's this special thing that yeah. happens with kids and animals for sure. Yeah. I was going to say, you could actually put horseback riding on your resume and meet. <laughs> I know. Whereas it's true. It, it might be on a million actors' resumes, but how many can actually do it? Yes. <laughs> well, and this is like, I, that reminds me of my first um, professional resume and Starlight Express was a popular mm -hmm. show that 
you know, was rumored to be one that would do an open call that would perhaps that could be your, you know, breakthrough, you'd get a gig there. So everybody had roller skating on their, oh, yeah. on their resume, like no one really could do it. <laughs> but yes, I, I've had, uh, you know, horseback riding on my resume. No one's ever, no one's come to me. Nope. No one's asked. <laughs> Never got me a job. <laughs> Someone is going to write a beautiful movie. Have you ever ridden a horse on camera? No. Have I ridden a horse on camera? I think for some reason I rode a horse on the Ellen show. (laughs) Sounds right. (laughs) And I feel like this is so bad because I don't remember. I feel like I sat on a horse, Gilmore Girls, or or, or there was like a, there maybe was like a, um, a horse drawn something. And, and, and it, because I remember probably Amy being like, look, it's a horse. And I was like, it's not the, no, it's not the, this doesn't <laughs> offer me any opportunity to show what I can do. <laughs> so no, it's, it remains, it's out there. Well, ice skating now. Did you ice skate when you were a kid? Yeah, I was just going to say, maybe they'll change Mighty Ducks to horseback riding. So Mighty Horseback Riding. I don't know. <laughs> I did ice skate just, you know, as we all did, like, as like a birthday party thing to do. And yeah, so when that call came, I don't know, it's such a funny thing being an actor. I think most of us have terribly low self-esteem and then some amount of hideously high bravado because you have to like you have to get yourself to a place where you're like yes I could possibly get a job that hundreds of people want you know so it's it's some combination of the two and perhaps that was what made you know my agent was like do you skate and I was like of course I skate please (laughs) ha 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 and then I and then I wasn't very good it was sad for me to realize. <laughs> well, if you had seen, if you have ever seen me skate at a birthday party, <laughs> you're a great skater. Thank you. And and we like the the greatest love of all. We enjoyed that yes. tremendously. Thank you. That was very funny. Oh, I had to sort of show your son that you were in it to win it. It's also like for any writers out there, it's how to get an actor to do your pilot 101 is just give them some big goofy finale dance or song number <laughs> to, to, uh, you know, I was like, Ooh, that's just gets me where I live. It's dorky. And uh, I love it. I, I particularly like the part where you tell off the coach, but you have to slowly walk across the ice to go tell him off. <laughs> and then- it wasn't, I was that no acting required. Yeah. I was actually going to wipe out at any moment. <laughs> there does seem to be a strain of, Uh, music that runs through a lot of the roles that you have done. Is that something that draws you to a project? Well, in the case of um, Gilmore Girls, that was just, you know, you do a show for enough seasons and I think the showrunners come to you and they're like, what else can you do? (laughs) You know, um, and also music is such an elevated way to express emotion and, and just such a great tool to to do that and um in the case of zoe's playlist that was again something that you hope to have after a long career which is a friend who calls you and says hey do you want to do this (laughs) um it's it happens a lot less than you think you know and um the show was picked up and i was kind of waiting on (sighs) development what a nightmare of like you know i had i had things i wanted to do when i was trying to develop different pieces of material and 
And so it was appealing to do a show with my friend that I wasn't going to be tied to for seven years that I could kind of like come and go and sing and dance. And, and also, you know, you, I don't get offered the scary boss as often as I do the dorky mom. So I was, <laughs> I was <laughs> excited to do that too. And, and yeah, but then when the ducks call came, you know, my agent was just like, are we just choosing things by special skills now? Like what is happening? <laughs> are we like, and um, so it, it does sort of become, what will be a challenge? What will feel different? What? And I, I really believed. It's so sad that that show is is done now. It's so hard to do anything unusual in broadcast television, especially now. It's a charming show. I really loved. I lo- I was so excited as a musical theater kid, actor, person, singer to see a show like that. Was like I'm like how how do I get myself on this show? Like I was so excited for that. I mean, especially especially during the last year and a half. Yes. Oh, yeah, it was just and you were also saying, Danny, you were saying during the last year and a half, well, actually prior to the last year and a half, but during times of crisis. Well, you have you and the work that you've done have like appeared in my life at, at some interesting times. I back in 2014, I had a really bad accident where I was hit by a car and I broke my back and it was I was laid up for quite some time and I. I had watched some of Gilmore Girls before that, but when it came on the air, I was a senior in college. Like I wasn't, I was in the theater pro, I wasn't really watching TV, right? Well, I started rewatching it and it was like my, my every night, my ritual, like when I couldn't sleep, I was watching Gilmore Girls and it just made me feel so good. It was just such a, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it other than that. It, it was like one of those things that you find when you need a pick-me-up and it was like it was that thing for me in that time and your book this book I discovered that summer and I read this and I was like obviously like I I recognize a lot of the act you know all the actor stuff and all that and it just there's a a joy in that too that was just what I needed in that time so thank you (laughs) oh thank you for that thank you so much it's um it's really something that I, I it just means the, so much to me. And I don't know, it's just become like a defining to be in that show at the time was a certain time of my life, you know, mm-hmm. a certain kind of work, a certain kind of like, um, I went from, you know, it was the nineties. I went, everything was like a half hour sitcom. We, you know, you worked for like a couple days, you went out for dinner and you, you know, it was, so I'd never worked so hard. I'd never been so immersed in something and I'd never felt so, um, connected to material. And, um, so there was a kind of euphoria in that, but it was also just the heart, like the, the most, I, it was like, I went into that time and then I came out of that time and, I was like, where's everybody? Would you got, oh, you got married? And you, oh, the world, what year is it? Like, I was you like. You have three kids? I had no idea what, what had happened. I'm sure. And so the the fact that it has continued to be a gift to me to understand, you know, kind of what it has been for people is something I'm just really grateful for. So it has, my relationship to it continues differently than some shows where you you drive off the lot and you're like, that was a good experience. And you kind of don't necessarily think about it again as much in the same way. So 
it's been a big deal for for me too. And um, so thank you. That's amazing. And I feel like you've been on a couple of special shows. The Gilmore Girls is special. Parenthood is very special. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Zoe is very special too, but like they have such an, a fan base. I mean, the fans just, there's a, such a love there. I mean, like, gosh, you have the greatest fans. I mean, not just because I'm one of them. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but But it's really, I remember... With Parenthood, I think I remember correctly, but there was discussion of like canceling it at one point and then the fans really rallied and were like, no, we want this show. We love this show. No one wants to hear their show is going to be canceled, but I feel like there has to be some, it must be really nice to know that there are people out there that love the work that you're doing so much that they're like writing letters to NBC or and saying, please don't cancel the show. It's so nice. And by the way, every show I've ever been on is always under threat of cancellation. <laughs> I don't no. know what it's like. I mean, I mean, I, you know, I live with a pretend fireman who is on a show that is not <laughs> a, a, in threat of cancellation. And I'm always like, what is that like? Like, it's, it's such a different, I'm so used to, it's fine. I didn't choose this career to feel secure in my job, you know, but, um, but even Gilmore Girls, like that first year, we're up against friends and it, it just was, it happened to be during a time when networks were changing and the way audience, you know, whatever, however they measure what they care about was changing and, and even parenthood too. I think we survived three different network presidents or something. I mean, so much of this is just the, the corporation behind, you know, what creative decisions are getting made and, it's a miracle anything survives, you know, at all. It's it's really also incredible that if you have a show that has what they call, you know, sort of like a niche audience, but it's really niche because it's it's a show about a relationship and a town and family members. And it kind of is in the vein of being family entertainment, but without being, it's not mushy, it's not corny, it's like well-drawn. And also with Gilmore Girls... We, we were talking before we got on about how literate it is as a script. It's almost like a play in, in terms of the exchanges and also in the way that the relationships are delineated between the characters. So, yeah, that's not going to probably immediately grab people. But because it lasted, it's now Netflix bound and it's all the time everywhere. And the, the fans have grown and grown and grown. And it's people all over the spectrum. Like I listen to a lot of comedy podcasts and there's all these alt comedians that just love the Gilmore Girls. <laughs> it's so funny. That are the most cynical, you know, they're not legitimately <laughs> cynical, but they're right. the most kind of like snarky people in the world. And they are, they were so happy for the new season. Yeah. You've been, you've been on a few shows that even if they, I, I'm not aware that they were, that, that they're, tenure was so wonky but um they've all they've 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 earned a place with people really love them like they love those shows yeah it's i'm i just again feel like i can't believe it and 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 you know all i just did was pick things that first of all it's not like 70,000 scripts land on your desk or whatever that you're just flipping through and being like, no, yes, thank you. No, you know, it's not. <laughs> you're not swiping. It's not like grinder for scripts. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. But it just, I think it's just also uni unique to the kind of actor I ended up being, which is I just, I can't do straight up drama, you know, or or straight up TV type drama, you know. I I got offered some medical show during a time when 
I really wanted to work and it was like a cool bunch of people and I would have been the lead, you know, doctor. And I sat around my kitchen table. I had some friends over and I tried my best to do it. <laughs> and people were rolling in the <laughs> floor. They, they were just like, no. And, 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 you know, I had, and um, he just passed recently, but the, the other sort of like, point of launch I look at when I think of these really important times where had I not had this teacher at that time, I'm not sure what would have happened was um, when I was in Wynn Handman's class when I, um, so I graduated from college and then I, I was waitressing and then I went to the grad school program at SMU. And then I got back to the city, waitressing, tutoring, little things here and there. And I was in this class you know, met some friends or still my friends to this day, you know, things like that, that like lasted forever, but he assigned me something and it just didn't, it was, it was, I think it was Nina from the Nightingale. He'd, I had previously had like sort of a win in class, whatever the thing had been before. And he, he was like, Ooh, I want to give you this thing because I think you're ready for this challenge. And it just wasn't, I couldn't, I don't know. It just wasn't, and he, rather than be a teacher who was like, you better get in there. You didn't work hard enough. You know, you, blah, whatever. He was like, let's just drop it. He said, you know, not everybody. He's like, I don't think you have a, he's like, you were so connected to that other thing you did. He's like, I don't know that this is, it's just, he's like, not everybody has to do everything. It's not this material. This doesn't feel like, you know, maybe this is not, let's do something else. And that was another, like, such an important moment where, it's it's kind of can be very freeing to feel like I'm made to do certain things. And, you know, unlike my dream, which was to be the most versatile arena stage rep company actor, you know, uh, which I still have to some degree, but it's also okay, especially in TV and film, you're going to end up playing pretty close to who you are. You know, it's, it's just a different, it's, I don't know. So, so, um, I don't remember why I started talking about that, but he saw who you were and said, I would like to help you become more of that. Who you are. Yeah. 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 That's really special. I don't, I went to theater school. I, if any of you are listening, you never told me that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like that's a really special thing. Yeah. No one had ever told me that in theater school really either. It was just like, you know, you need to be able to play. Was, and, and I think it was a transitional. And so, it, we, I'm older than you, but you come up in these institutions, right? That perhaps are of a tradition that is valuable, but is of a tradition that you know it's training you to be have a career that very few people have anymore. Um, and it may exist in their memory, in their mind. It may not even be a thing that is anymore. That's right. And and even in the case of Win, I don't even think he was thinking about. But, you know, the marketplace, he's not thinking about it. He just was like, this is how, that's how he saw actors. He was, he was like, he had a very playful kind of, you know, who are you? Ooh, look at you. Look at you. Be more of you. Isn't that a good thing to be? And, and, you know, coming from a program that had a lot of value, but where you feel stripped down, you know, you get out and you're like, okay, I've been told to be aware of my tics and mannerisms and, you know, you've been trained to voice and speech to speak like a 
you know, middle English, whatever, not middle English, but you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, mid-Atlantic, <laughs> mid-Atlantic, mid-Atlantic. Person of <laughs> not Beowulf. Distinction. Yeah. No more New York accent. Yeah. Meanwhile, that is what everybody <laughs> wants to see. They want that. That's actually the thing that makes you you. Yeah. It, it, a lot of times ac- uh, acting teachers don't. It, it, they have it. I'm not saying they have an agenda, but they do. They have a way they want you to do things. Yeah. Well, and it's, there's just, there's so many ways to be an interesting performer, you know, and, and um, like I sometimes say about someone who, <laughs> like if we're being, you know, if I, if I don't think someone is whatever, I, I'll be like, well, I don't want to see his Hamlet. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like I was right. like, I'm like, like, sure, that person's like adorable, but like, I don't, I don't believe, you know, I don't, there's not a substance there or something. So, so not every, you can't, you can't do a quirky, you know, Lorelai doesn't work as, uh, you know, um, Lady Macbeth, Lady Macbeth or something. (laughs) Why is this, we think of that, but, but so, so, so anyway, it's, there's just all kinds of ways to. Think about it. So, so you, you you came back to the city and you were going from job to job. And we had read that there was a period of time where you were uh, a server at a comedy club. And I was curious as to what comedy club that was. Well, that was the year between college and grad school where I was like, oh, dear Lord, if I don't get out of this wheel, I will could this could be my life for the next 30 years, which was I worked at Barney's New York, the old Barney's on 7th Avenue during the day no had no business having that job i had like three shirts like i don't know how i got and then i worked at the old um this may be one of the ways i first came to joe allen hmm because it was the uh original improv which was i believe 46th and ninth. wait a minute it's no it's 44th between 8th and 9th it's where the pizzeria is Don Don Giovanni. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But okay. it's the brick wall. It's, it's all, you can see that it's the old place. Yeah, this is like 89. This is like, you could feel it. We were making great money, but you could feel it was the end. <laughs> like, it was, the, it was also, you could feel the comedy scene turning. Like, you could feel all the stories were, oh, you know who was here last year, you know, kind of. And except Ray Romano and I always have this joke because he would, I he was there like right as he was, going to do his show um so there were still some cool headliners and stuff but it just was everybody already had their sitcom is how it felt Mm -hmm. it was like Seinfeld had gone already you know it was it was and the comedy scene was um people weren't getting discovered in the same way it was kind of it had already happened like the boom was over at that point that's right yeah what's that something you aspired to i would assume if you work in a comedy club you have at least some idea that it might be fun and pick up tips and network yeah you know i'm a huge saturday night live fan and had for whatever reason in the rules of my single parent household i was allowed to stay up for saturday night live and i don't know that it was it was it was just something that was like always on the periphery, like, you know, something I wanted to be around. And I just loved comics. And again, it was the 80s. That's what we would do for fun is go to the, all those clubs in the village and, you know, just watch people perform. And so it's never something I did, but it's something I just 
have such an affection for and appreciation of, which is why I'm like always in love with every talk show host. <laughs> <laughs> which Dana mentioned how much fun you are on talk shows. I, don't, I said you're fun on talk shows. <laughs> no, I watched a couple before this and I was like, she's really fun on talk yeah. shows. <laughs> um, I just love that form. I just really, and I, and I love the people I've gotten to be on those shows with, you know, over the years, the, I, I, I've had so much fun with Craig Ferguson and Conan and Ellen and, you know. Do you think that um, some of it is being in front of an audience? I mean, if you were, as a younger person, training on the stage and thinking toward the stage, you don't get an audience when you shoot. So is it, it's that same sort of energy of live performance. It's audience and it's improv. It's, it's that energy is very, um, because on the flip side of relishing an Amy Sherman Palladino page of dialogue, which you do not deviate from is the other side of, you know, when I really started being employed, it was in commercials where they'd let me just kind of riff on something in half hour where, you know, it's written, but then they're going to try four more jokes for the audience, you know, in, and in, you know, parenthood had an improvisational element to it. So I just think had things gone a different way, had I ended up in Chicago somehow, you know, I, I, I would have, I'm just reading all this. I went down a really deep Mike Nichols rabbit hole. And had it been that era, I just think that would have been a path I would have really liked. Of. And you would have been drawn to that because that was happening then and be like, I got to go there. Oh my God. Yeah. Yes, yes. Were you going out for plays when you were in the city or was it you were going out? So did you do like some work off Broadway or was it mostly going for TV? Was TV where you were kind of hitting? No, it was mostly going for theater. Um, We did. I did a bunch of stuff on Theater Row, you know, um, you know, we print out tickets, come see our yes. horrible play. <laughs> we know it well. <laughs> yes, we sure do. Please. <laughs> And, um, and then I got a, I got a play at the George Street Playhouse. And that was, um, that was after grad school and, and uh, after being back in the city. And that was another sort of like turning point because I'd been starting to make money in commercials enough that I could kind of live. But I made a rule, as does Franny in the book, which is I wasn't going to, I, I sort of had a time limit in mind. And also, I was going to keep my, then I, I, it, I'd gotten it down to just one <laughs> waitressing job, not like four in rotation or maybe some catering for like great performances or something. Um, and I was not going to quit my job until I had to, until I physically could not do it because of some acting job. And that George Street Playhouse job was, was that. And it was called, um, Tangents and it was directed by, um, oh, she plays um, the lead and chorus line in the movie. Allison Reed. Allison Reed. Allison Reed. And I, that was such a mind blower. And we played, it was five different people. It was about a split personality. And five different people played the personality. And, um, and she was really fantastic. But she told a story that was a very chilling actor story that sticks with me to this day, which is biggest deal to get that part chorus line. Wow. You know, she gets this lead and, 
And in the plane from, let's say, New York to LA, I guess, it were, or the other way around, the reviews came out. And when she landed, everything had like evaporated. Oh. And, and just as a story of hope and a career and just how hideous reviews can be, you know, what that does to somebody. And, and I don't know, it just, I was like, wow, that's awful. But anyway, she was fantastic. And the play was interesting. And, and then I got a pilot in LA, I think, and that started that whole thing. Well, you know, you're, you're done, you've done Gilmore Girls, you come back to New York, and you are Adelaide and Guys and Dolls. Like, how was that transition? That was, yeah. I mean, that's a big transition. Um, it was a difficult decision because my by then I had a real core of theater friends and I didn't really understand. All, I just still had my same, I just want to be on stage. I didn't really understand the Broadway, the rules or the sort of mentality or the like, there's a community, you know, think at times and many of my friends were like it's too soon don't do it and i and i had seen the faith prince oh you mean too soon from when they did it last. yeah too soon to do a, a revival oh, of guys and dolls oh, okay and they were like you'll you're gonna get killed don't do it and i was like these are not reasons to do things what are you talking about like i don't what do you mean there's a belief in the world what like because i had seen the faith prince production and of course it was like fantastic but what I'm gonna not do something because I can't like it was 10 years ago I I, like that so the logic of it didn't make any sense to me I was like I didn't understand that 10 years in Broadway terms is not long could not is like not necessarily long and so you know I've learned a lot I uh and I'm glad I did it and wow just so much pressure also the pressure and that because that time was right around the time when you also really don't get previews anymore because somebody's on the internet from night one telling everybody what was going on. And so, you know, that was a, that was a show that really grew not only in previews, but it really found its stride much too late. (laughs) And, and I found my, um, self, um, I don't know. I just hit a point where I was like, oh, this is it. But it was, you know, 30 performances in or something. But but it's just coming back to Joe Allen. It's one of the things I think that I always appreciated about the idea. I know you asked me for a favorite, which I don't have, but the idea of flops on the wall, which is, isn't it hilarious that we as a community value success as a measure of literally anything when all anyone is doing is trying their hardest to like put on a show yeah. isn't it insane isn't and isn't it hilarious to or kind or hopeful even to celebrate flops as a concept like Shouldn't we just be laughing all the time at 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 this the the ridiculousness of this pursuit and and how seriously everyone is being about saying pretending to be 
people they're not. Isn't it, isn't it hilarious? <laughs> it's funny. Joe Allen was a, was a great supporter of actors and the theater, but he didn't, he wasn't like a huge theater buff. Like he didn't go out right. and see everything, but he had friends and he had, you know, relationships with a lot of people in the theater. And I used to be able to, you know, sit with him and talk sometimes when I was managing there. And he would say, you know, we got to have this ball here because where else is anybody going to hear about these? There's no, these didn't get recorded. They don't, they didn't make films and everyone knocked themselves out to make these things work. Yeah. And he would say, go around and look at all the posters and the names on them. Like they're the, the best people in the business and they don't know why it didn't yeah. work. Yeah. They have no idea. They work on sometimes, it. On sometimes it. they do. But you know what I'm saying. You yes. know that yeah. they're every, you've got, it's not like the person who was great the other day, all of a sudden started work on this and just now they suck. It's, it's, it's everyone. If there's, there's, there's things that have to come together that if they don't come together, you're over. And it's not like a film or a TV show that can be rediscovered. It's gone. Especially these from like the sixties and the seventies gone. Like you can't even find a picture of them. Yeah. Well, even again in this Mike Nichols stuff I'm reading, you know, without process, I don't know how anything happens now because, you know, he talks about working on Barefoot in the Park with Neil Simon when he when they started working together. There was no act two. There was literally he was like, here's this idea. And then, you know, it was Mike Nichols who did the thing of like every because it's a fifth floor walk up or something like every single character who comes in is like has a different, you know, more dramatic, you know, thing. And then it, the, they kind of crafted act two. And I don't, I don't even think it was New Haven. They like went to Boston or something like it's, you know, now what is process like now? What's a f- and, you know, that was a, a discovery, too, in terms of the, I don't know, value or or reverence. I have still but had for the theater I was like people aren't thinking about you know commercial uh success in the same way that they do in film and television ha 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 ha. (laughs) yes they are (laughs) yes they are and and I was like oh we need this we need to fill seats here just as much as anybody needs ratings on any you know any anything so mm-hmm. i just have such you know and now where all that experience has taken me is like and maybe this is a just a joe allen connection too i just love actors so much i just love the hopefulness of trying to you know tell somebody's story and communicate and connect it's just it feels even more poignant a pursuit to me than it ever did you know when you're going out after the show and being with the people that you're working with is all is all it, it it's not part of the job but it's part of the experience and it's part of the life and there's a lot of joy in that it's the thing you live for yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> it's yeah. it's not even that it's the thing you live for because it's the moment you take a breath before before you think Oh God, you know, it's all happening again. And, you know, it's the moment where, I mean, one of the beautiful things about being in a show is people coming to you, you know, and, and then you get to spend time with whomever it is after. And, um, it's such a, you know, what a, what a nice thing. I just remembered something, uh, I, what I was like, I was uh, hosting at Joe Allen one night and you came in 
with Alan Rickman. And I don't know if you had been friends or if you had just met him, but you were sitting in the corner and you were talking to Alan Rickman and he went to the bathroom and you looked at me and said, (laughs) Mouthing, I'm eating with Alan Rickman. It's Alan Rickman. And you guys were having a really lovely conversation. You seemed to be having a lot of fun, but I could tell that you were like, oh my God. It's Alan Rickman. I was completely like, oh my God, because I was all, that was there with one of the hideous boy, old boyfriends <laughs> who knew him. I did not know him. And it was, and he was extremely like nonplussed by the present, by, you know, like, yeah, come on, let's, let's all have a drink. And I couldn't believe my world and could, didn't understand, like, I don't think I knew he was joining us or something. And I, and, and, and that also seemed so mysterious to me. Like the, the sort of like, we're all in this together camaraderie of, yeah. you know, they, they hadn't, they weren't in the same play. It was just like, I know you, I know you. Okay. Come on. We'll hear, we'll sit at this place and we're all here. We're all actors. It's fine. I'm just Alan Rickman. No big deal. And like, <laughs> so that was probably one of my first experiences, um, perhaps meeting an actor I'd only ever seen on stage or, you know, on film. And you were there. I was there. I witnessed it. I witnessed it. And it was really cute. I do have to ask this because I don't think I'll ever get another chance. Um, <laughs> and and my memory may be screwed up because I am nearing 50 and this was 25 years ago or so. Did you ever have a job for HBO interviewing people in Bryant Park? Oh, it was um it was for Showtime. Showtime? Yeah, I think so. Well, there's two things. One in early HBO, I was on a sketch show. Uh it was one of my first jobs and I think I played <laughs> I don't remember what the character was, but I did it I had to do a series of insane things. Um so that could have been that. And then I I got a job doing hosting a uh it was like a weekend where if you don't have showtime we're giving it to you for free or something yes basically the the job was they were like just fill time and this was like i was like i'm born for this this is exactly what i want (laughs) and they were like don't you need like cue card and i was like no i'll just talk because you interviewed me in the park. No! It's crazy. <laughs> it's got to exist. We got to find that clip somewhere. Wow. Did did I seem like I knew what I was doing? Absolutely. A hundred percent. It was. Uh, I didn't. <laughs> I, I, I remember that. And I just uh, thank God my memory still works. It, wow. it, it was exactly. I only got the HBO Showtime thing wrong. That's it. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Great. I feel, I feel, uh, you're vindicated. Your brain works. <laughs> it's not something you hallucinated. Full yeah. circle. I mean, right there. Right. Yeah. Dana. Oh, so we like to round out the interviews with our, what we call our last call questionnaire, sort of loosely based on the Proust questionnaire and James Lipton's actor studio questionnaire. So we have eight questions you know, like the first thing that you think of. The first question, what's your drink at Joe Allen? Uh, martini up very dry with a twist. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? <sighs> Directing. What's your favorite dish at Joe's, either past or present? Ugh, so many. Um, it's really mood-based, and if I have a show the next day... And how virtuous I'm being. Um, tostada comes to mind. Oh, my God. Oh. 
Um, yes. <laughs> I'll just leave it there. I feel I've made, I've really satisfied you. No, that's, that's, that's. You've won. Just. You've won. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that is such an achievement. <laughs> and to eat it, to eat it is such an achievement. Um, when you were waiting tables, what was your least favorite side work? Ugh. Uh, oh God, there's so many. Um, <laughs> I had it for so. This is the first thing that comes to mind. Is one of my earlier earliest jobs. They had us polish. The silverware was clean, but you had to take like a hot rag and make sure there were no spots on it, and like polish every single piece. That was just tedious. You know, along those lines. Um... There was a story. We had a very good-looking waiter who was not very bright. <laughs> and Mary asked him to polish the silverware one day, and he walked down the entire line of tables, picking up silverware, exhaling on it. <sighs> Ew! <laughs> wow! Napkin. And, and she just like watched him do like five tables, dumbfounded. Wow. So, and he's still there today because he's so good looking. He's the general manager. <laughs> All right. Here's another uh, question. What live performance that you've seen floored you the most? Oh, there's so many, but... I the first one that comes to mind um oh god the, then the second one comes to mind all right I'm gonna do two one was Ben Platt in um you know Dear, Dear Evan Hansen Dear Evan Hansen it was nearing the end of his because I'm very um I like to know kind of where people are in the run, I just was fun. And he was near the end of the run and you could just, I feel like feel it. And, and, um, it, he just, blew, he blew me away. The, the emotion of that performance was just very unique, but I was along for it. I, it didn't like, um, it didn't, it didn't knock me out of believing what was happening. I wasn't, you know what I mean? I just, yeah, totally. And, and, and then, on the other end of the spectrum, I saw Gypsy the day after everybody had won a Tony. The Patti Lapone, um, uh, I don't know if there's been a more recent one since then, but, and she came down the aisle and people stood and cheering and, and she's, and she, she her back, she goes up the on the stage and her back's to the audience and and it went on for so long that she had to turn and sort of bow and then turn back in character and i was like what it was just such a like she's the actor she's the performer she's the legend she's the character she's the it was just like she was everything and i that felt like a really special night to see that what is your favorite curse word uh i it's it's feck, which is different than fuck. It's feck is if I'm Irish from Ireland. F-E-C-K is what I write the most, probably, in response to people saying things to me. <laughs> did you pick that up? Uh, did you pick that up from waiters in, in New York once upon a time or bartenders? Because I think that's a very Irish. It's an Irish bartender classic. Mm. Yeah. Let's say I did. I mean, I... I just picked it up from being a person who fancies myself like off the boat from Ireland. Meanwhile, when I was in Ireland um, just a couple years ago, and I'm not really a beer drinker, but I had a Guinness in Ireland. And I said to the 
you know, server. I was like, this is my first Guinness in Ireland. She goes, is it then? She didn't care. (laughs) Good for you. Turned around, walked away. And I was like, well, I mean, that's Ireland. I'll take it. I love that. That's perfect. (laughs) If you could invite anyone to join you for a perfect New York evening of Broadway and dinner at Joe's, who would you invite? Well, the first person who comes to mind is my dear Kelly Bishop. Um, who played my mom in Gilmore Girls, who's probably the yes. person I, Kelly and Amy Palladino, we probably were, that was our last, that was my last time at Joe's, I think, was with the two of them. That's where we like to go and have our lunch. But it's, you know, it's an event to have Kelly come in town and she takes the train and it's like a perfect location for her to come out of the train and go to Joe's and I don't know. So that would be my date. Uh, pick one word to describe how you feel about Joe Allen, the establishment. Um, cozy. Definitely cozy. Yes. It is that. Mm-hmm. And reopening soon. And reopening soon. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this with us. This was really fun. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It was really fun for me, too. And, I, and I'm and i excited that it's on the eve of good times for everybody in the restaurant. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we like to close with a toast because... It's cocktails at table seven, so let's raise a glass to good friends, great nights at the theater, and cocktails at table seven. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you so much. Thank you so cheers. much. Cheers. cheers. Thank you so much, Lauren. It was really, really fun to talk to you. Cheers to Cocktails at Table 7 is produced by Jason Woodruff, Dana Mirlock, and Sean Kent, with theme music by James Rubio, and logo design and artwork by Christina D'Angelo. Special thanks to the owners of Joe Allen, Orso, and Bar Centrale Restaurants.